God said, let there be light. And ever since, he has been continuing to bring light into a dark world. Jesus himself came as the light of the world to destroy darkness and to change the course of history. This is Light, a three-part Christmas series about how life has changed for us now that Jesus has come to earth as a man. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Life. How is everybody doing? You did a good job getting warmed up for me there. Yeah. Well, hey, we are in the last week of our light series. If you've been around uh, Grace Life for the, any of the Christmas season, you know that we've been doing a series for Christmas called Light. Uh, the good news, though, for those of you that are, you know, like, okay, Christmas is over, get the tree out of the house, stop the music, and so you definitely don't want to know that we're doing one more week of our Christmas series is that we're not doing one more week of our Christmas series. Today's message does have something to do with light, has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas. Everybody good with that? Actually, today's message could be a standalone. Like, I could get up here and say this has nothing to do with any series. What today is about is about where we're headed and what is getting ready to come up. So if you guys have paid attention to the calendar and you're uh, observant people, then you know what happened last week. It was Christmas. And this week is New Year's, and right now we're in that weekend of no man's land. Like, this is the one week of the year, like, nothing should be happening. Nobody wants to go to work, is that right? Yes. Nobody wants to eat any more turkey, is that right? I mean, we just don't want to do anything. I'm actually surprised people are here today. God bless you people. I mean, seriously, this is traditionally the lowest attended Sunday of the year for any church. I got a friend of mine who pastors an 8,000 member church. They canceled services today. I'm seriously, I'm thinking like, dude, even on a bad day, you've got like 6,000 people, don't you? Seriously? Like, that's not enough for you? I mean, come on, man. All right. Anyway, so hey, not judging, but the point is, uh, this is that time where we're, we're trying to figure out where we're headed. And here's where we're headed. Uh, we're already starting to talk about how we're going to have a better year, right? We're thinking about those, those things that we put our hope into that might help us out, like a diet or resolutions. My wife told me a couple of days ago what my New Year's resolution is. You did, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Any married men got my back on this one here? I mean, that's why we want to hold the remote. It's the only thing. I don't even have my own resolutions. Listen, hopefully every message that I preach is from God. That is always, uh, that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Um, but sometimes, I, you know, I'll know God wants us to talk about this, and I'll, I'll have to get on my knees and pray for a little while about how do we do it, what scriptures do we want to use, how do we want to get there. Uh, today's message uh, actually was, was a really cool God thing because I woke up with the entire uh, series, uh, I'm sorry, the entire message right in front of me, and it was, it was there as though I was looking at my notes. All I had to do was sit down and try to write it out as quickly as I could see it. It was, it was all from God. Um, I, I may not even need to use my notes, and, and that'll be cool in, in a way. Um, here's what today is all about. We're headed into a new year, and I'm not, going, I'm not going to talk to you about how to have good resolutions. There you go, for those of you that thought that's what I was about to say. But here's what I think. Every year at this time, in this weekend of no man's land, as we are looking at the year that just came before us, and we're making a list of all the things that went wrong. 
All the things we don't like, all the things we'd like to change. We look at it this way. I gained 20 pounds this year, so therefore, what am I going to do next year? I'm going to go to the gym and try to lose those 20 pounds. Uh, this year, we got horribly in debt, so next year, we're going to try to get on a budget or something. We, we, we look at what wasn't good, and we try to make it good. And we do come up with things like resolutions and these ideas of how we're finally going to have the year that we've always wanted. The problem is every year we end up disappointed and 12 months from now, we're going to be back having the same conversation. And I feel like God gave me something that might finally bring an end. Um, and I don't know if it's really that good or not. If it is, we'll write books and we'll all be rich. But I believe that there is a reason that year after year after year, we keep coming up with new ideas, facing the same disappointment and hoping that something is going to be different that's never been different before. And I think that it really comes down to the fact that we build our entire paradigm of life on an errant philosophy of how to get what we want out of life. And so what I want to do today is not to talk about resolutions. I want to talk about how to get the year you want and, and why our resolutions actually never, ever work. It comes down to something incredibly simple. And so um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Psalm 27. Uh, the whole thing is going to come out of one sentence. One sentence. And it's the very first verse out of Psalm 27 that says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, that's obvious, right? So let's all go to lunch. Have a great 2015. <laughs> now, here's what I want to understand. Here's what God showed me as I read this verse. Um, one simple thought. Those Three words, this is not just about poetry. Sometimes we read Psalms and we think, well, this is, just, this is just the writer trying to be poetic and coming up with synonyms and things and whatever. This is not the writer being poetic. Matter of fact, this was written by King David. He's the psalmist in this case, and that matters. But I'm not going to tell you why it matters until the end, because it's going to make more sense then. But King David is writing this, and he's not just coming up with words for, for Phil. He names three things, and these three things represent something in our lives that we identify with, and, and that is what really matters. The first one is this. It says, the Lord is my light. Now, when we talk about light, of course, we've been doing an entire series, and you understand that Jesus came into the world as light. God is our light. And so what that means is that has power over darkness. Any dark situation you face, God can come into that, and he can change that, and he can, he can destroy the works of darkness. Okay, great. That was the rest of the series. Very important, not undermining that in any way. But I want to bring us to a way of thinking that we haven't addressed the word light. See, light is that by which you see everything else. That sounds common sense, but I need you to think about that for a minute. Light is that by which you see everything else. So let's just go with an analogy for a minute. If you walk into a dark room and there's absolutely no light, you're going to trip over something, you're going to stumble over something. What do you do to solve that? You turn on the light. If it's a bright light, you can see everything. And if it's a dim light, you will see shadows of things. If you've got one of those really cool colored light bulbs and you turn on a green light, what do you see? Green. You could be wearing a blue shirt, but it is not blue anymore. Everything is done in this perspective. You see, when we see light in Psalm 27, what it's really saying is that this is my 
perspective. It is that by which I see everything else, right? Light is the thing by which we see everything else. My perspective on life is that by which I see everything else. It becomes all of my source of truth. And so what King David is actually saying is he says, the Lord is my light. What he says is that God is my perspective. And so he starts to reframe the way that he looks at life by saying, my perspective is his word, not what I see. See, a lot of our problems in life is that our truth is what we see with our natural eyes and not what God has said. What King David is saying is that my perspective is his promises, not what I think. We spend every day trying to figure out how to be less depressed or how to be less broke or how to be less poor or how to be less frustrated or whatever the case is, whatever that thing is that you're trying to get away from. And the question we need to be asking is, is, is what is God going to do to destroy those instead of me trying to figure out how to fix it on my own? God's got something. What he's saying when he says God is my perspective, he says that my perspective is his will, not mine. And when we start to look at everything in light of that, you like that phrase? I did that on purpose. You know the phrase we use, in light of that. It's what they say in court. Someone brings in new evidence and they say, in light of that, you are free to go. What does that really mean? Does that mean they were standing in court and someone turned on the light bulb finally? I've been having court in the dark for three weeks and then suddenly somebody turns on the light. Oh, well, you're innocent. No, that's not what that means. See, we have this phrase, in light of, means in the perspective of this truth, it changes my outcome. It changes everything. This is now different. I used to think that was true. That's not true anymore because in light of this, God is my light. The Lord is my light. As we approach 2015, the Lord is my perspective. Now you start and think about 2014 for a minute and all of that perspective you have. All of that stuff that's frustrated you. All the stuff you think you need to change. All the stuff you think you need to bring into 2015. How much of that is God's perspective? And so the psalmist goes on to the second thing. And he says, my salvation. The Lord is my salvation. Now we know, of course, that this has the scriptural idea. Jesus died on the cross. and He is our salvation. But this is, this is again, the psalmist is being practical. He's not being deeply theological and trying to lay out all of, of humanity in one moment, what he's talking about is, how do I make it through every day? And his answer starts with, well, God's my perspective. And then the second thing is, God is my salvation. What do we mean by the word salvation? We mean hope. God is my hope every day. And, and you think about it like this. If your car breaks down on the side of the road, you hope that something's going to do something about that, you call somebody who can do something about it. It's called a tow truck, right? I mean, that's what we do. We put our hope in things that can change our circumstances and to make them better on the other end. That's called our salvation. If you're broken down on the side of the road in the rain and your car is in a ditch, your salvation is a tow truck. You're not going to do it yourself. If you can lift a car by yourself, you need to let us know. You could probably make some money in a freak show somewhere. So I don't know. What do we put our hope in? We put our hope in resolutions. I mean, seriously, every single year, we're frustrated with what hasn't happened. And we make a list of things and we know our lives are gonna be great if this list of things would come to pass. Our hope 
is in this list. It's our resolutions. Our hope might be in our diet. Our hope might be in our marriage. I talk to single people all the time. You know what they think will make life perfect? Get married. Thank you, married people, for backing me up on that. You know what some married people think the answer to life is? I'm not going to finish that. But if you did in your own head, you need to repent. Some people put all their hope in a new job. Some people put all of their hope in a pay raise. You see, we put our hope, our salvation for 2015, honestly, look, I hate to, is not God. Your hope for 2015 is this entire list of anything that will change your unpleasant circumstances. You've got a list of circumstances you don't like, and we want them to change. Here's the problem. Look, I admit we've got circumstances that aren't great, but here's where the problem comes in. If just changing them is your hope, then you've removed the two most important ingredients, you and God. See, there are two things going on always. Number one, if your circumstances are miserable, maybe it's because of you. Happy New Year. And if it's not because of you, then I promise you, it is because of God. Now, look, I just need to let y'all into my theological world for a second. My personal belief system, my theological belief system, and my doctrine is built on the fact that I believe God is sovereignly in control of everything. I believe my God is the only one I need to be worried about. I do not believe that he controls the big events, like the day I was born, the day I got married, and the day I die, and then leaves all the other stuff up to luck and random chance. Like I got a flat tire. Oh, I'm just having a bad luck day. Really? Oh, I'm just, you know, I, didn't, I lost my job. Well, just bad luck I was working at that company. No, it doesn't work that way. I believe God is in charge of every circumstantial moment of my life. And if you aren't there yet and somehow there's like a little fairy genie Tinkerbell or something else that follows, follows you around and, and, and floats around your head and, and deals with some of your... I don't know. I don't know how to help you. <laughs> but if you're with me and you believe that God is sovereignly in control of every single moment, then what we have to do is stop saying, God, get me out of this! And start saying, God, why am I in this? That's all you got to ask. Because if we understand why we're in it, we'll understand why God allows it or brings it. Some he allows, some he brings. But either way, it's because he's after something in you. He wants to do something in us. And, and he's using those circumstances to, to bring us to that point. And it's, it's, the, it's what we need to understand. You see, we, we think that if we could just change our circumstances, everything would be good. No, it's like being a parent. Look, and I hate to kind of compare God to a parent, you know, because they're not quite the same. But look, parents, when our kids do something that they don't need to be doing and we want to teach them a lesson, we try to implement pain. And so we use things like you cannot play your Xbox for a month, you know, or something. You cannot use your telephone for a month. We tried to ground our kid from his telephone for a month. Let me tell you all what, it punishes the parents more than it. <laughs> we took his phone away. Oh, that was a funny day. Honey, what time does he get out of school? I don't know. What time do you think he gets out of school? What time is rehearsal? I don't know what time rehearsal is over. Are you going to get him? I don't know. Do you think he has a ride home? I don't know if he has a ride home. I don't even know what time to go get him. Darn if that kid just had a phone. <laughs> Here's the point. 
when you ground your kids to get at them, it's more work on you, right? And so just imagine for a moment, your child does something wrong and you explain to them something is wrong. You say you're grounded for a month and the child walks back in the room and goes, I'm going to try this with a straight face because this is not meant to be funny. I am so aware of my sin. I am sorry, Father. Now, look, y'all laughed. Really, I didn't mean that to be funny because I I meant that in all seriousness. If our child realized their circumstances is to get at something, and as soon as they got at that thing, we'd be, okay, fine, here's your phone. All I needed for you to do is realize that's wrong. And that is what God is after when we're sitting there going, God, get me out of this. God, get me out of this. God, get me out of this. And God's going, when are you going to figure out why you're in it? You don't need to make a list of how to change your circumstances for 2015. You need to turn your face to the God who's in charge of them and say, why am I here? If you're broke, there's a reason, people. By the way, next week, we'll start talking about that one. (laughs) Just saying. If you're miserable, and just look for free, sometimes your circumstances are because you are connected to people and God's working in them. I know there are some people I'm walking with right now, and they're, they're going through some really hard things. And right now, I bet if they were listening, their question would be, yeah, but what about? And my answer would be, I'm sorry, man. Maybe that's got nothing to do with you, but it's got to do with that person. God is just after that person. And until then, you're just, you're just along for the ride. And, and that sucks. But unfortunately, that's called life on planet Earth with other people. The point is you don't need resolutions to solve that Our hope is not in resolutions. By the way, look, let me just back up and make sure we understand something. When I say you don't need resolutions, resolutions are good things. If God is after a circumstantial change in your life, he may give you a list of things he wants you to do to bring about his will. Some of your resolutions are his ideas. That's a good thing. But they're not the answer. They're only the, the way that we get to the answer, which is him. He is our perspective. He is our hope. And leads us to the third point the psalmist said, he is our stronghold. Well, if light means perspective, if salvation means hope, stronghold means trust. It's your security. Where does your security come from? You see, this idea back when the Bible was written, they literally built castles and kings lived in castles. And so the idea of saying this is my stronghold. I need you to imagine with me 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, whatever you want to do. Imagine with me a strong, a castle. And I want you to imagine with me there is a king and he's inside of his castle and an enemy is coming to attack. And the enemy is out there shooting fiery darts, but he's got like this wall that's 10 feet thick and 50 feet high and the darts just go dink and fall back down. And he stands inside of his stronghold just smiling. I mean, there's 10,000 soldiers on the outside with darts on fire. And he just stands there going, I'm I'm good. This This is cool. I can handle this. Bring on whatever you got. Have you seen how tall these walls are? And the psalmist, King David, is saying, that is my God. Bring it on, devil. Because my stronghold... My trust, my security is not in anything that you can shake. And by the way, that was a really loaded sentence. Because do you know the enemy can shake some of your junk? He can. He can mess with your money. 
He can mess with, with your circumstances. He can mess with people around you, and then they mess with you. I mean, he can mess with some of the stuff in your life, right? It's not saying that just because God's there, your life's perfect. What it's saying is because you are my stronghold, that which he can shake, I don't care. That's not my security. My security is in that which he cannot shake. You see, what we take our security in are, are these things like money. Can I just mess with that one for a second? If I just had more money, look, I'm with you. Y'all don't have to look at me like you're all, all holy. Like, boy, that, that Jimmy boy, he's all screwed up. He's got all kinds of problems. Y'all looking at me like you don't have these, but I'm with you. I can't, I, all the time I'm thinking, well, if we just had a little bit more money, we could do this and this and this and this. We'd be, ah, with just a little bit more. No, look, you, if your security is in having more money, that's a problem, and God's got to deal with the problem. So guess what happens in your life? Yeah, y'all figured that out, didn't you? God takes some of that money away to say, no, it's not your security. I am. And then you get more upset and you try harder to get money. And God says, no, the more you need money, the less you have it. Is anybody with me on this one? When you get to a point, you go, I am happy under a bridge and poor. You will start to see riches poured out. I'm just telling you, when you need money to be content, God won't allow it. Because God is going to remove anything that you set up in front of him and go, I need this more than I need you. For some of us, it's not money, it's career. There are people in here who will sacrifice being at your kids' ball games, date night with your wife, your own sleep, your own health, time at the gym, whatever. You will throw it all to the ground so that you can advance in your career because your security is in this 30-year career that's got a promised pension, got a good retirement plan. And if your family just understood when those 30 years are up, man, they're going to love you because you'll be able to take them to the Caribbean, kick your feet up, and it's going to be great. Here's the problem. In 30 years, they won't be there. You miss too many games and too many date nights, and all of your security will pay for your funeral alone. For many of us, we put our security in the number one thing on the list. Anybody want to guess what that is? Us. Your greatest security is yourself. I got this, man. I'm good. No, no. Don't worry, God. If, uh, if they tell me I got cancer, I'll call you back right now. I got this. I got my job. I got my finances. I got my family. I got it all figured out. I, I know what I got going on right here. My intelligence, it's, it's in charge. What I think, that's what matters. Matter of fact, I'm not even sure I'm going to talk to you because I'm not sure I believe in you because my brain says you might not be there. And after all, my understanding, it rules the world. That person over there, they offended me and that's my perspective of it. So I'm going to be mean to them until they change. I'm in charge. My security comes from me building my little walls around little old me because I am the deal. Matter of fact, have y'all not, I know this is supposed to be a joke in our world, but we have set up a, a comparison to God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we built our own unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. My security comes in me. It's in my ability to control. And the more that you need control, just like the more that you need money, God's going to keep taking it away. The happiest people in the world are the ones who know they could die tomorrow. And they're good with that. Amen. The people who know they could be broke tomorrow or win the lottery tomorrow. And they know they've got this much control over either one of them. 
The people who know they could go outside and back up their car and run over four nails and have a really bad day. Or they could go outside and find out somebody gave them a Christmas present and there's a Lexus with a bow on top. The people who are the happiest in life are the ones who have figured out God is their stronghold. Because a new car or an old car and money and no money and the greatest career or getting forced out of your job or everything in the world. Nothing. Nothing. Everything I just named, the enemy can shake. I've even got wonderful, wonderful Christian friends of mine that have had their marriages fall apart. And you look at that and go, what did they do wrong? Nothing. I know that sounds almost heretical. I, I, I'm pretty stinking sure. I'm married. I, I'm, not, I'm friends with some people who in their marriage, I mean, they, they were good. They were really good people. But the people they were married to weren't. Just left them, walked away, did their own thing. Your security cannot be even in your marriage. If the person you're married to is your source of happiness, man, then they just became your Jesus. And let me tell you, so I'll do all your marriage counseling right here. Any human being will fail you compared to Jesus. Your security can't be in your marriage. Your security sure as heck can't be in your kids. I mean, they're great, but they are going to make a mess. They're going to spill things. My mama bought me a helicopter for my birthday. She knows there's a boy inside this thing. Flying my little helicopter and my eight-year-old son. Daddy, 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 let me try, let me try. No, kid, there's a reason the instructions say for 14 only. Daddy, 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 let me try, let me try, let me try. And if anybody knows my son, he does not stop saying, let me try. So I say, okay, you can try. Boom. It was like twice the height of our two-story house, and he broke it. Kids are great, but they're going to make a mess. If your security's in your kids, if your security's in your money, if your security's in your job, I don't know, you can get my point. Your stronghold, you've got to be able to make the statement, anything the enemy can shake is not where I find my security. The only thing he cannot shake is God himself. You've got to be good if the doctor tells you you're going to die tomorrow. You, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. You've got to be good. So the question, obviously, pointing all to this, if you want to change 2015 and you want it to be different from any other year, then you've got to take this philosophy of let me put my hope in all of this other junk. Let me find my security in all of the things that I'm going to make on a list of. And let me, let my perspective be my ultimate truth for how to take last year and make this year better. You've got to take that philosophy and you've got to throw it in the trash. And if you want 2015 to be any different, you've got to say, the Lord is that by which I see everything else. The Lord is the only thing I hope in. And the Lord is the only thing that is secure in my life. And whatever comes. Because look, I'm, I'm going to be a prophet for a second. Okay? Here's what's going to happen in 2015. You're going to have some bad days. It will be an imperfect year. Just kidding. Not really trying to prophesy any bad. Just letting you know. It's going to come. And for that reason, I want to give you something that you can do with this. I want to give you two practical ways you can put this into to your life as we go into 2015. 
is you want to throw that out and put this in. And for those of you taking notes, it's going to be incredibly simple. You should write these down. For those of you not taking notes, that might be the first thing you should change in 2015. Because <laughs> I put a lot of work into this stuff, just saying. I mean, why would you spend 30 or 40 minutes of your life listening to me if you're not going to try to look at any of it throughout the week and, and apply it to your life? That's just, that's a fair question to ask. But yeah, that's all right. Number one, number one, declare for yourself. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The psalmist was declaring. He was saying, the Lord is my light. I want everybody to know the Lord is my salvation. Who do you think I'm afraid of? The Lord is my stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? It was a declaration. And he followed it up in verse 3. I'm going to take you through a couple more verses here. He said that though an army camp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me. I'll be confident. See, this is all about what I just told you a minute ago. I can already tell you, you will have a bad year in some ways. It'll either be this day or that day or something. Something's not going to go the way you want it to go. You need to know that in advance. King David had had some pretty bad days, if y'all know anything about his history, and he knew there were more coming. After all, if you're a king, you're going to have some bad days. People want to be king. They're going to come after you, and they're going to try to fight you. And what you need to know before the war comes you need to know where you stand. Can I give you all a dumb analogy? Let me show you how dumb it is the way we live. I said we because I'm with you. But we are like the soldiers who show up for the battle. I want you to imagine two countries go to war. We got a red country and we got a blue country. And they go to war. And half of the soldiers show up on the battlefield without their uniform saying, hmm, well, let's just wait and see how this day goes to declare my allegiance. I don't know, blue team looks like they're pulling the head over there. Hey, somebody give me a blue uniform. Like, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Ooh, I didn't know they had those things. That's powerful. Somebody give me a red, red thing. I'm going to come on over here. See, this is the way we live our lives. You win the lottery. Boss comes to you and says, hey, you know what? <laughs> There's just too much money in the budget. We're giving you a raise. Praise you, Jesus. You go out for Christmas and there's a new Lexus with the bow on it. Praise you, Jesus. Go to the doctor and it's not so good. God, what's wrong with you? We wait until the battle comes to pick our side. We need to declare for ourselves where we stand before the battle begins. Declare for yourself, number two, position yourself. Position yourself. Where you are and the position you are in is going to change how you approach 2015. Here is what the psalmist said in verse 4. Only one thing have I asked of the Lord. That is what I'm going to seek after. Only one thing, and that is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, that's, that does not say he's moving out of his home and into a tent. Because the temple had not been built yet. So when King David wrote this, it was literally a tent. He was not saying, I'm going to move out of my house with all of my stuff and come live in a tent where we keep the ark. No, that's not what he was saying. Because I'm not, I'm not trying to say you need to come and live in this room. But he's saying he wanted to dwell in the house. Let me explain to you what I think that means. I gave that free for you. I, this is what I think it means to say dwelling in the house. First of all, you understand when you come to my house, you are going to be with my family. 
My family's in my house. God's family is in God's house. And part of the problem we have in life is that we are not with the people God intended us to be with when we face those battles. Now look, every single day right now, we see basketball teams playing each other. Five people play five people. Everybody knows how to play basketball, yet one of them loses. You know why one of them loses? It's because they gave them the wrong size ball. It wouldn't fit through the hoop. No. They lose because the other team had better people on it. And I know as I'm going through life, I want the best people on my team. And any day of the week, I will take five people filled with the Spirit of God over anybody else. You need the family of God. That's what it means. I'm going to dwell in his house means I'm going to dwell with his family. Stop fighting your battles by yourself. When you are addicted to something, you are struggling with something, 2 a.m., you need to call somebody, pray for me, bud. I'm about to go on the computer again. When you are having an issue and you're about to stop by the bar again and you've been sober for nine months and you need to call somebody, hey, man, I've had a really bad day. All right, you stay right there. I'm on my way. You need the family of God to face what you're facing. I can't promise that we can make everything better. But when you know that somebody's praying for you every single day. In his house, I believe, I do believe that God has a plan for each house. I believe God has a plan for every single local church, each version, each piece of his house. And he is doing something with them. And so what I think that that... First of all means is if we're going to dwell in his house that we need to stop observing from a distance or an occasional visitor. And we need to commit to being a part of that plan for that house. God's doing something in that house. If Grace Life is your house, then that's fine. If Grace Life is not your house, I'm not doing a commercial for it. Go find your house. <laughs> I'm just trying to say I'm not. I just want you to find one and commit to it. And I want you to be a part of the plan for what God's doing in that house. There are 52 Sundays a year. If you didn't know that, I know that because I work too. <laughs> 52 Sundays. A you need to be a part of the plan for the house. And that follows to the next one. You need to commit to growing in the house. You need to commit to growing in the house. You, you, random messages are not the answer to your spiritual health or your growth. They're not. I plan out a year. I'm usually like 12 to 18 months out saying, God, what do you want for your people? And I can already tell you what we're going to be talking about in March. I already know what we're going to be doing because I believe God has a plan for his people. And when he says, talk about this and it's going to be in three pieces, it's because I've got three significant things to say about that. And when people, well, you know, well, honey, it's a, it's a pretty bright and sunny day. Why don't we go out to the lake? I mean, okay, look, cool. I get it. I like vacation too. The problem is vacation seems to fall at like Sunday morning every week for some people. And, and you show up for half of the stuff. So for instance, our next series is a four-part series. It's going to take me four weeks to preach. If you miss two weeks, don't blame me that your stuff doesn't work. You only got half the answer. Try going to work and they train you for a job. Here's half of what you need to know. Good luck. You can't just keep, oh, well, you know, I heard there's this one good message online by this one guy. I'm going to go get this one little piece of thing over here. No, you need to get in something, and you need to commit to it, and you need to try to grow from it and learn from it. Because I'm going to tell you what happens in America. We hop around. The average church attender is 25%, I mean, one time a month. Anybody who's beaten one time a month, you, by the way, are an overachiever. Do you know that? Okay, here's the thing. After hearing one out of four messages or one out of three messages, or two out of four messages, you're always going to be missing something. You're always going to be confused. You're never going to get the whole picture. And after about a year of that or two years of that, you think, I don't know what I'm talking about. 
And so you go to the church down the street and you'll hear what half of what he's got to say. And after two years, you'll figure out he doesn't know what he's talking about because his solutions don't work either, even though you've only understood half the problem or half of the answer. And you're going to go to a third church two years later. Y'all take that for what that's worth. I'm not trying to boost attendance. I'm just trying to solve problems. So he finishes with this in verse six. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. The position he's putting himself in is one of worship. And I'm not talking about Sunday mornings now. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about every day you wake up and go, guess what? I woke up today, God, you are worthy of praise. I mean, the fact that I woke up today is a blessing. And guess what? You know, I woke up in a dry bed. Like there's no rain coming through the roof. Some of y'all, like, I don't know. I don't know what problems y'all face, but I was just talking about the fact I wasn't living under a bridge. Yeah. Y'all got some serious problems in your head y'all need to deal with. I saw y'all start to smirk just as soon as I said that. Now, meaning God has taken care of me. You know what we do? We wake up. The first thing we do is wake up and we think of the one thing that's going wrong instead of all the things that have gone right. He positioned himself in a place of worship. And he went on in verse 8 and 11 to say, here's his, here's his best position. My heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. And teach me your way. Lead me. Here's what the psalmist is saying. He's positioned himself. He starts by putting himself in the house of God as the committed part in the family of God to worship him regularly and then to seek him. I'm going to give you two phrases that you're going to remember for this whole year to put with that. On your knees. I should remember it myself. In his word and on your knees. That's how we seek him. As often as regularly as we can get in his word and on our knees, we're in a position for what he has for us. I told you earlier I was going to give you a challenge, and here is the challenge. No matter what you're going to do for 2015, no matter what reading plan, your yearly Bible, read through the New Testament, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do. In addition, I'm asking Grace Life Church, for those who are willing to read Psalm 27 every single day for 365 days. And I think it matters. Some of us, we like to do things like, well, I read that once. I saw that movie once. Have you ever seen a movie more than once? I didn't see that the first time. You see, here's the thing. You may think you only need to read it once a week. Can you promise me that the one day that week you read it is the day when the enemy's going to throw everything he's got against you? I think for one year, I just, I just want to, it's, honestly, it's an experiment. And the experiment is going to finish with, we're going to find out who did it. And we're going to put them in front of a video camera, if they're willing. And we're going to share their testimonies this time next year of people who spent 365 days starting their day with saying, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. Now, I'm ready to wake my wife up. Now I'm ready to go to work. I'm ready to face other kids at school. Whatever it is you do every single day, you're going to start and you're going to read Psalm 27 about declaring for yourself and positioning yourself. And you're going to face that day. And I just want to know. I don't know if we'll get 365. We might get 360. We might get 350. We're going to get some people who will do this a bunch. And we're going to compare at the end of the year. Seriously, we're going to put them on video. So you decide if you want to be there. Let me finish. Finish it. With this whole idea I told you earlier. 
King David wrote this and it mattered. Let me tell you why it matters. Because King David is our inspiration. King David was the most screwed up person in the Bible probably. And yet God said, this is a man after my own heart. Really God? Wait a minute, let's get this straight. Um, let's see how he did as a husband. Oh, I don't know. How many wives did he have? Yeah, we lost count of how many wives. Um, how about the adulterous affair? Oh, yeah, that one wasn't too good. Oh, yeah, he wasn't a very good husband. Um, how about David as a father? Well, let's see. Uh, he did really raise some of the worst kids on the planet. Um, let's see, when your son rapes your daughter, yeah, that's kind of ugly. Then your other son kills somebody. Then the other son tries to kill you and take over the throne. Yeah, yeah. Not a real good parent there. Um, how about as a king? Well, then again, he did try to use his power as a king successfully, by the way, to have a man killed just so he could have his wife. David was an overachiever when it comes to the list of sin. I mean, look, every one of us in here has a couple issues. I mean, one of you might be an adulterer. One of you might be a murderer. Hopefully not today. Uh, one of you might be a thief. Uh, and one of you might be a liar. But David had them all. And God said... This is a man after my own heart. You know why? Because I want you to go into 2015 with this thought. Because it's not about how good you are. It's about how good your God is. And David openly admitted all of his sin and said that none of my hope, none of my security, and none of my perspective is the answer. But the Lord is my light and my salvation and my stronghold. That's it. Amen. Sorry about that. I think that was worth it. Hopefully, you do too. Well, all of that, of course, is based upon the idea that God's already the king of your life. We end every week here at Grace Life with making sure you understand going to church is not enough. Believing Jesus was a real person is not enough. Lots of people do that. What matters is understanding Jesus died on the cross, and that was for you personally. And therefore, you want to live your life for his glory. That's what it's all about. If you've never made that exchange with him personally, if you've never said, today Jesus is the king of my life from here on, I want to help you do that today. Would you all just pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are my light, my salvation, and my hope. I thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your forgiveness. I thank you for your death, and I give you my life. And my simple hope and prayer in this place today is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen, amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.